Yeah, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show showdown edition talking New York Jets, baby, and the Indianapolis Colts. Matter of fact, this game actually might have some legs, could be decent today. We'll find out. I'm Dave Lochran at Lafay underscore D on Twitter, L O U G H Y underscore D. For those of you podcast listeners, joined by Matt Gajeski at Matt underscore Gajeski. I suppose I should spell that one too. G A J E W S K I. Not the easiest. What's going on, bro? Not too much, man. Really excited for this game. It's funny you mentioned it. I always wondered when I just say my last name or when other people just say my last name, how many people are just like, throw up the white flag. Like, now nah, I'm not even going to try to search this guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and, and Lafay too, like if, if you watch people that will type my name into chat, they still spell it wrong and it's on the screen. So we're just shit out of luck regardless. Yeah. My last name in this business, you got to spell it. I, I should have had some larger Twitter game strategy in mind when I picked this and did something like DFS related or sports betting related, yeah. NFL related, but instead I just took the easy route, pick my name, and turns out it's not that easy. <laughs> no, not. I, you know, Nolan, I think, still calls you Matt Gajewski up until this day. I think he does. Yeah, yeah, and he schedules all your stuff. So I mean, look, we're we're winning around here. Anyway, we got uh, one game. That's all we got. We got a ten and a half point spread. There's no doubt this one could get ugly, but the a herculean feat or heroic feat yesterday mac or last week call it whatever you want mike white pulling the jets out of the pits of hell followed by an awful start to the season with an outright win against the cincinnati Bengals. they were double digit dogs at home this dude throws for over 400 yards and ends up taking them to the promised land i mean I, I joked about it. It was tongue in cheek saying the, the Jets drafting Wilson second overall was crazy when they had Mike White waiting in the wings the whole time. But what if he comes out today and actually keeps this game competitive against the good Colts team? Like, do you have to consider you can't, right? Like you you can't consider starting. You have to trade him or something, right? What do you do if he's actually good? It, it, it's rare you see a second overall draft pick use his motivation to just motivate Mike White sure. out here. But um, in this situation, I still think it's probably a very low probability that Mike White's actually good and sure. Zach Wilson's bad. But in the hypothetical you bring up, I think it's kind of reminiscent of the Josh Rosen situation in Arizona. And you definitely can still trade these guys for value. I mean, like we just saw Darnold go to Carolina. I mean, that hasn't necessarily worked out, but you get what I'm saying. There's still value with these players that are first round draft picks. And especially a guy like Wilson, who's such a low sample playing in such a bad environment. It's really interesting though, that Mike white was able to overcome that. And Cincinnati has been such a good team this year for him to beat the Bengals. It's not like they went out there and beat up on the Texans or something. It was impressive. And Mike white, he's been a prolific passer going back to college. He's just a late round draft pick. He's coming out of a small school. So he hasn't received a lot of those opportunities. Doesn't mean he can't be that, that signal caller of the future. I would think it's a small chance, but it is still possible. Yeah. Look, it's, it's highly unlikely. It's just a fun cons, a fun hypothetical to assume that say Zach Wilson misses three weeks. What if the jets go three and oh, and Mike white actually looks like a competent quarterback. That's all I'm saying. I mean, in the event that that happens, you have, you have to at least scratch your head and be like, is this guy actually good? 
their ownership would be so upset. And I mean, it's oh, yeah. they're playing in the same situation. It's same skill position players. Actually, a tougher matchup for Mike White where he did succeed. The Jets, Zach Wilson's had some easier matchup and has failed. So, I mean, if he does continue to play well and Zach Wilson misses these three games, I feel like you have to continue starting him. I know. That's the crazy part. I mean, it, oh, God, Jets fan base, what do they do? I mean, the, the truth is, when it comes down to it, if you're a fan base, you, you'll embrace anyone that's playing well. Like, if you're winning football games for a team, and I know this as an Eagles fan, right, 100%. If you're winning games for a team, they're, they're going to ride for you. That's just the way it is. And then what will happen, Matt? I guarantee it. Now, look, we're, we're getting into the weeds here. We're going to break down this game in just a second. But what would happen is you would say, you would see everybody go, Mike White's the guy, you know, 2018 fifth round draft pick. This is who we want. Trade Zach Wilson for a first and then get us some better players next year. That's what would end up happening. It's not going to, but that's what would happen if Mike White went on a run with like three or four straight wins. Honestly, that's not that bad of an outcome either. No. Just looking back at like first round quarterbacks, there were around a 50-50 shot and even the quarterbacks at the top. And even in recent memory, there's so many examples of failures. And just in the most recent years, you have guys like Darnold, you have Jared Goff, former number one overall picks like Mariota and Winston. If you want to consider them successes or failures, I think some of that could go either way with a guy like Winston. But there's so many misses at the top of the board. If you just hit the lotto in Mike White, I think you would be extremely happy to still trade Zach Wilson for a first. Yeah, you're not wrong. It'd be crazy though. Let's talk about the jets. We're happy to have you guys with us as always hit that thumbs up. If you're just walking in the door, the great thing about DFS from a showdown standpoint is it can be an awful game on paper and we're going to love it just as much. As a matter of fact, I think there are some really good plays in this game that might fly under the radar a little bit might get it lower ownership, maybe some contrarian captain spots and all of that. So stick around with us till the end of this one. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet and subscribe to the channel. What are we at? 64,400 subs, well on our way to 70. One, you know what, Matt? Soon enough, I don't know when, maybe next year, maybe before that. I don't, I mean, not like 2021, but next like 365 days from now, we're going to hit 100,000 subs on this channel and it's going to be a, a damn celebration. Yeah, we have, a, we have to have another one of those mega streams. I'll bring the four locos out for all you in chat. <laughs> It'll be a real celebration. Would you would you shotgun back-to-back four locos? I mean, that's a, that's a tough task, tough ask. I could do it. You think so? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will. It, when we get to 100K, I will do that. You will double, you will double, like, so one, bam, two, bam, and just knock them both back for 100K. Yeah, you, you just got to, you got to give me the time to open the second one, though. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you can't just have it sit there. <laughs> yeah. I, I live alone. I don't have a helper over here that can right. assist. Just, I suppose you could have the hole poke laying on its side, propped in between two things, and you just pick it up and crack it. That's doable. That is true. Right? As long as it's not standing upright. All right, 100K subs. Matt dies on stream. <laughs> I don't want your heart to give out, Matt. I'll be okay. You saw me after the first one. I know you were fine. We got to be better more than worried Jordan. about Jordan Klein if he's in that stream. <laughs> well, Jordan, Jordan knocked back a, a fifth of Grey Goose or whatever it was and, on a stream. So whatever. It'll be a good time. And uh, again, thanks to all you guys that jump in here and hit the thumbs up that have already hit that join button and got your badges and, and the emojis and and the shout outs and join team awesome. And of course, all you guys that already subscribe to the channel, 
uh, makes doing this a lot more fun and we'll always do free content. But you guys know YouTube overlords, the algorithm. We're just trying to fight back the small guy trying to, you know, fend for themselves. Anyway, let's talk about the Jets on this one, Matt. They're ten and a half point dogs on the road. Against the Colts team that really could have won last week had it not been for some blunders late by Carson Wentz, who all game had really played pretty well. But that had that unfortunately did not culminate at the end becoming or and become a win. What are you thinking with with Mike White today? We just talked him up a lot, but what do you think of him being a, a big road dog, most likely needing to throw quite a bit once again? He's one of the riskiest players I can remember on showdown. And I know we've had a couple situations where we've had backups in the past. I, I can't remember one just in the forefront of my mind, but it's a situation where he's priced down a little bit compared to where we normally see quarterbacks. For example, he's a little bit cheaper than like Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. You rarely see that quarterbacks. Usually they're the most expensive options, no matter what, even if there's those elite skill position players too. And then you have the fact, like, just where does this projection come in? It's going to be one of the most volatile projections, I think, in recent memory, because you have a guy who essentially has no draft capital, hasn't played in three years in the league, comes out and just plays amazing in his first game. So do you air towards more like league average play? Do you use the one game sample with Mike White? This could be all over the board with him. And the one knock, I think, against Mike White that we'll see is he's not mobile whatsoever. So he's, unless he gets it done as a passer, he doesn't have that out. He doesn't have like a high floor that even maybe like a Carson Wentz has, where he just has that, just a small amount of mobility where it gives you a little bit of a floor. Mike White doesn't have that whatsoever. He finished with negative rushing yards in all of his seasons in college. So he's just not going to be mobile at all. And if this goes back to being the Jets regular offense we've seen throughout the year, there's a really low floor with him. But at the same time, he's a cheap quarterback. He's not being owned, and they're going to be throwing. So he's a really tough evaluation. I think the toughest one that I can remember. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. I, I think the one thing that stands out to me is what you just said at the end, right? He's going to need to throw. It's difficult to imagine that not being the case. Now, I will say this much. The Jets' defense, they're not very good. But they have had some games where they've at least stood up enough to where they ended up being pretty low scoring. When it comes to the Colts secondary, though, I mean, wouldn't you consider this a beatable secondary just in the sense that if the Jets are down by, you know, 14 points early on or, or even, you know, 10 points, whatever, and Mike White's throwing 40 plus times again, that there might just be enough volume there to get him where you need to go. And, and, and also, let me add this, Matt. I really don't think it's crazy on a slate like this to have Mike White and the Colts defense. He has four interceptions in his first two starts also has four touchdowns he's thrown 77 times and one game he didn't come in till close to halftime I agree with you I think you certainly can play the Colts against Mike White and we've talked about this before a lot of times like a Colts ceiling performance isn't necessarily bad for Mike White if the dude throws a pick six in the Colts hit that upper range of their outcomes that's like a 15 second play is like less maybe like even a 10 second play. And then Mike waits immediately back on the field throwing again, he'll be in better game script to hit his ceiling. So I think you can certainly play them together. And that might even be like a more of a positive correlation than people think. Yeah, I think so. Brian train says the first Thursday night football live stream was awesome. Really want y'all to do that again. Terry was pretty tuned up as well. 
<laughs> Linquist and Laffy taking shots on stream. I get tuned up. You just don't know it. Hell, I'm drunk right now. Sammy Telesco. Uh, I've been at Children's Hospital. I became a grandfather. Let's go, Buffalo. Congrats, Sammy. Appreciate all the support, man. Uh, always in here riding for Osmo. Congrats on becoming a grandfather, my man. And then Matt, of course, our boy Jordan Klein. Even on the West Coast, he's out there watching the stream right now, taking notes for when he produces next. Says, I will shotgun a fifth of Kettle One when we get to 100K. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to pull that one off, Jordan, but I, I, I believe in you. I worry for you, but I believe in you. His heart will explode for sure. He and will die. Might be tough to shotgun through a glass bottle. I don't know. He's going to have to get a drill out. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how you do it otherwise. No. And even, even so, it's going to be tough. But I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So I want to talk about Michael Carter because as far as like pass catching options go, he's their best one right now. And the one that, that uh, Mike White has targeted the most. But let's get to some of these actual pass catchers first, Matt. Then we can break down the running backs because it's kind of a mess here. Now, keep in mind, last week, Corey Davis was out. This week, Corey Davis is also doubtful. So at this point, he hasn't practiced at all. I don't see much way that he plays. He's dealing with a hip injury. We know those can, can, can last for, for quite some time. That's significant because now you're not looking at a, a top, not to say he was ever a top-tier receiver, but for them, he was their top-tier receiver. You're looking at a guy in Jamison Crowder who has the second lowest A dot in the league ahead of only Rondell Moore. You're looking at Elijah Moore, who was a preseason darling, you know, coming into season-long drafts and has been largely uh, invisible for this year. Guys like Keelan Cole, Braxton Berrios, Denzel Mims played 70% of snaps last week. And Matt, guess who played 24% of snaps? Our boy Jeff Smith. So it's not pretty as far as the receiving core goes for Jeff, uh, for New York. I've been waiting to talk about Jeff Smith since I last it. year when he was chalk. I think you're seeing a little bit of a changing of the guard in the receiving room. Uh, again, you mentioned Corey Davis. A lot of it has to do with him. But like Elijah Moore just hasn't gotten it done in the field. He's been one of the least efficient receivers in football. And they did spend the draft capital on him. But at some point in time, like Denzel Mims is a second year, second round pick as well. They getting him on the field and taking a look at what they have and essentially a lost season, I think is a good idea. Like, let's be honest, this Jets team's not making the playoffs. So like Denzel Mims is an asset from the previous coaching regime, but he's still there and there's a lot of draft capital in him. So kind of showcasing what he has for a potential trade or at least seeing what he has on the roster, I think is a worthwhile endeavor for them right now, especially when there's injuries. And then like Jamison Crowder, we know exactly what he is, but for the purposes of showdown, I'm not really going to be shying away from Jamison Crowder I think he's fine this Jets offense overall is implied under 20 points so they're not projected to be scoring a lot with Crowder he's somebody that you know is going to be playing underneath getting the easy catches and if he can just rack up like six PPR receptions and then maybe do a little bit after the catch he could be enough from the Jets side of this game that's not projected to score a lot of points like what are the chances that they have a big play today with their implied total, I think it's a little bit lower than people might expect. So even just taking like easy receptions with Crowder could be an avenue to get you to a ceiling score. So I like Crowder. Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims, they're going to be more your outside receivers. Mims in particular is like a big vertical contested catch threat, which I don't think really lends itself to a, a day three quarterback 
who is, you know, like not really practicing with the first team at all. And I guess you can make the argument that Mims has been on the second team for most of the year, but are they going to be trying to push the ball downfield with Mike White? I find that a little hard to believe. Agreed. And we had a question in chat, Matt, from, um, from Bev Bang says, who is the safest play for the Jets wide receivers? Matt, the safest wide receiver, and, 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 and the, the important word here, or the operative word here is safe, is definitely Jamison Crowder, just based on volume alone and from a PPR standpoint. Like, if you ask me who's the best cash game play as a Jets receiver, I don't even think it's close. I agree 100%. And it's not like he's expensive. Like, no. they did, DraftKings did not correctly price this game. Like, Elijah Moore is still way too expensive for his role. Crowder, he's not cheap, but he's, he's definitely not, like, cost prohibitive. It's pretty remarkable, though, when you look at um... – when you look at Michael Carter, because if you said who's the safest receiver, really, it's it's him. Uh, Mike White, dude, has, and this is crazy to me, Mike White targeted his running backs 47% of the time as a, as a quarterback this year. So in the one and a half plus games that he's played, he's targeted his running backs 47% of the time, Matt. I mean, that is a really, really high number. Michael Carter with Mike White under center, has a 30% target share. So he is loving targeting Michael Carter. And Ty Johnson is third with a 12% or 13% target share. You have Jamison Crowder up there close to 20% with Mike White under center. But it feels like another one of those games where Michael Carter is involved heavily as a pass catcher. I mean, check this out, dude. He has... He has, what did he have, 13 targets last week? Um, I, I, I'm sorry, uh, 14 targets last week, and then nine targets the week before, of which I think eight of them were from Mike, Mike White. So you're now looking at a guy, Michael Carter, who over the last two games has 20 total looks and 29 total looks, and that was in a win. So don't get me – this is what's it's really interesting to me. Against New England, maybe you could say, oh, I'll write it off, him and Ty Johnson, a lot of garbage time work dink and dunk stuff, just get them down the field and score a touchdown when they're getting the, the, the shit kicked out of them by New England in Foxborough. But no, they won, and they dropped 34 points, and he was still targeted 14 times. That's pretty significant. Yeah, targeting your running backs out of the backfield is a very profitable endeavor for these teams overall. And with a team like the New York Jets who have a suspect offensive line, like what are you going to do? Run Michael Carter a 200-pound back, like slam him into the back of your bad offensive line? Like. 25 times a game. <laughs> I actually think they're playing this well and trying to use him in the past game and get him out in space where it at least makes the defenses think and you have to make plays in space rather than condensing everything in the box and just slamming him into the back of the offensive line. I like the way they're approaching this. And again, Mike White, we're talking about a fifth round signal caller here. Like he's not Zach Wilson. He's not going to be pushing the ball downfield at the same rate. And we can speak about talent if we want. But Mike White is taking the easy yards that are there for him. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why he was able to throw for 400 yards. But I don't see that changing, especially when they've had success. So that works in the favor of Michael Carter. He's the lead back. Ty Johnson, I think he's even viable as like a change of pace yeah. play. And probably somebody you can use in DFS with Michael Carter at lower ownership, just because people don't like that two-back construction. And again, I think that helps Jameson Crowder, who operates in the underneath realm of the field as that slot receiver. Again, Mims and Keelan Cole are going to be playing on the outside. I don't even think it's crazy to have some lineups with Carter and Ty Johnson. In it. 
I agree with you, especially because they're both used heavily as receivers. So yeah, exactly. even, even Ty Johnson, he comes in with a little higher floor than your typical change of pace back. Yeah. Listen, he has 13 looks over the last two games. And one of those games, he actually went out to be evaluated for concussion. So he missed a little bit of time. I mean, 13 targets and, and granted, Matt, uh, just to be clear here, I'm not saying Ty Johnson is some full out punt at running back either. You know, he's actually, he's like a mid range price point on this slate. But if, if you're talking about a guy that you say, okay, he should get 10 to 12 total looks in this game because of how heavily they're usually utilizing the running backs out of the backfield as pass catchers. I'm okay with that. And Ty Johnson has actually seen a little bit of goal line work. You don't love that for Michael Carter. And I think as the season progresses more and more, he'll be phased out of that role, but you know, could Ty Johnson get a look inside the five and, and six targets and, and five carries and Michael Carter still gets 20 looks. Yeah. We've seen it happen now in two straight weeks. Yeah, that's not too surprising to me. Ty Johnson's the bigger back. Michael Carter, he's he's like well-built. He's just smaller. He's only 200 pounds. He comes in around 5'9", so he's just not your biggest back. Ty Johnson's 210 pounds. I mean, there's not a huge difference there, but, I mean, if you're just the Jets coaching staff and you're trying to get your biggest runner out on the goal line, I think Ty Johnson gives you that, that opportunity. But like you said, I'm not sure it's significant. And I think you could see this go back to Michael Carter, especially if he's just the far more efficient rusher as we get a larger sample with these two guys on the field. I, I definitely could see that. And I don't think the goal line carries right now are something that's like a really worthwhile thing to look at because it's such a small sample. And both For backs, sure. there's not a huge size difference. So I guess how willing are you when it comes to captain spot to get certain jets players in there and we can pull up of course our our ownership projections uh, our, our our top play our top showdown and single game plays tool is like legitimately one of my favorite tools at awesome uh, i know you use it a lot too and all of our subs always use this because it's great but it just gives you such a good idea of what things are going to look like and whether or not you're trying to get too cute like if you say should i captain this guy and he has a 0.5 percent top play probability, uh, you know, less than 1% optimal captain uh, probability. But it's not surprising seeing, Matt, that the cap optimal captain probability, the top three are all Colts. But Michael Carter's at 13%. Crowder's at 5%. Mike White's at 4%. Uh, and, and Crowder and Mike White, or I'm sorry, Crowder and Michael Carter both have pretty decent leverage scores today. So where do you stand on that if we're talking just straight game theory here? I think it's a great day to play a lot of showdown, especially larger field because captain is going to be a little more spread out. So I think you can make better lineups overall and not worry about as much duplication. It's not the Lamar Jackson slate where he's going to be 90% owned in your captain, like over 50% of the time. Right now, we're not even seeing a single player over 20% of the captain ownership. And I think that speaks a little bit to there being two bad offenses or at least one bad offense and one middling offense. And then it's pretty spread out. Like the best players on both teams, there's a reasonable argument that it's the running backs right now. Jonathan Taylor, based on just his pure efficiency as a rusher. And then Michael Carter just seeing the absurd receiving workload. And I ran optimals this morning. And this like spread ownership was also reflected in like the spread of captains. Like Michael Carter actually popped in the optimal captain lineup. But even like the top three optimals all had different captains. So I think it's a great day to spread your ownership at captain spot, but build good lineups 
maybe not leave as much salary on the table, knowing that the captain ownership isn't going to be as condensed. Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, the way I see it is if Michael Carter gets in the end zone, okay, he could undoubtedly be the optimal captain. Again, we have around 5%, which is fine because he's, he's not on a good team. Touchdown equity isn't great, but if he gets in the end zone, you could just be looking at a spot here where he has eight receptions for 65 yards and then, you know, 12, 10 carries for 50 yards. And now you're looking at a, at a 25 fantasy point game. So that the touchdown will be the difference maker here, I think. And obviously that's just speculative, but I think, you know what I mean here on, a, on one of these slates, you're not going to get there without a guy getting into the end zone most of the time, unless it's just a total shit fest and there's nobody scoring. So I, I agree with you, but this situation kind of reminds me of James Robinson last year, except with a better receiving workload. Sure. I, and I, I personally was affected by this a lot because I continued to fade James Robinson on the basis that he's on a team with a really low implied team total, but he was such a focal point of the offense that it ultimately didn't matter. If he scored fantastic, then they played with a little better game script and his carries were elevated. If they didn't score, their reception floor was so good with James Robinson that he was really hard to avoid. And I could see that being the case with Michael Carter here. And I think that's important to note because his ownership is coming in pretty low for a guy that is such a focal point of the offense right now, albeit in a small sample, but who else do they have? No, that's totally fair. Look, he, he would have had 26 DraftKings points last week without a touchdown. So, yeah. Again, I still think that volume is really heavy last week. So I was trying to temper expectations, you know, but um, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. And may maybe he doesn't see 14 targets, but like if he sees eight, that's still phenomenal. Yeah, that's still good. Especially when there's such, when, when there's such, the, the conversion rate on those targets is so high. Like, you know, normally if, if you running back on eight targets, assuming they're, you know, his ADOT is, is 0.4 yards over the last two weeks, right? So that, not, I'm not assuming that. I'm saying it is. It, with that being the case, you should be catching at least six of those. I think so, too. I mean, they're, they're just not downfield targets at all. Right, which is fine, which is fine, because six receptions is a touchdown when you think about it. Now you just need to tack some yards onto that and be somewhat efficient in the run game. Are there any... <laughs> I, yeah, I just I looked up something funny for you. How many times... Do you think Mike White has thrown deep this year? So deep, that's a 20-plus yard throw downfield. How many times do you think he's attempted a pass on, beyond 20 yards? On 77 attempts or whatever it is? Um, he, yeah. Yeah. Does he have? I think 77. I don't know how many of those attempts were targeted attempts, but he has thrown the ball 20, 77 times. Okay. So uh, how, many, how many went beyond 20 yards downfield? Two. Three. My God. Right there. Okay, so I was close. I just well because he because he hasn't had Corey Davis. So I mean, who else are you gonna? He's completed one of them. Guess how many yards it went for? Twenty three. Twenty two. Oh, so close, dude. That means he has a less than four percent deep ball percentage. It's bad, man. Percentage of throws deep down, not great. Hey, no. guess what? You know, but but Matt, see, here's the great thing about a, a show like this. Or a slate like this. Sorry, Ben just messaged me that he was on a show and got me all mixed up. The great thing about a slate like or a game like this is that just means that you should really like a guy in Jamison Crowder and Michael Carter if this is going to be the style of play that the Jets run with. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like I broke this down by range of the field. And 54 of those 77 attempts have come 10 yards 
or I mean, I should say within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So no more than a first down 39, so, 39 coming within like the line of scrimmage to the first down marker and 15 behind the line of scrimmage that totals 54 overall that didn't even, they, he didn't even throw the ball to the first down. marker. <laughs> that's cr between Michael Carter, Ty Johnson, Jameson Crowder and Elijah Moore over the last two weeks, they have over 400 yards after the catch. And I think that's how they're going to continue to operate have to. and how they should. Do they have enough blocking downfield to make this work? I guess they have been. Dude, I don't know how it works because their offensive line is so bad. Like that's I, what like I mean. Their receivers. Should, I know Mims is like a big bodied receiver, but it just seems like these guys are creating plays. And I think the Cincinnati game is an anomaly. I, I don't know how they won that game, but if you think about teams that are trailing, I mean, the defense should be playing off coverage. You don't want to give up big plays that are going to turn the game around. So if you're running these little dink and dunk stuff, it makes sense. But the anomaly is the Cincinnati game that just won. Like, I don't, I don't know how they've been able to achieve all this. It, to me, it points to maybe some regression here. But again, Mike White's not going to turn into a deep passer anytime. How does this offense change? And I don't think it will. I think it's still Michael Carter, Ty Johnson, and Jameson Crowder underneath. And then whatever Mims and Keelan Cole give you is like ancillary receivers. I got to tell you, Matt, this is kind of one of the more fun teams we've broken down this season. Yeah, we need more. We need more Jets primetime games. Come on, NFL. Give the people what they want. <laughs> but no, we need more Mike White Jets primetime games. I'm surprised they this game isn't like in Mexico City or something or London and send the Jets there. Normally, yeah, they send know, the Jaguars man. there. Put it on the moon. I mean, come on. Hey, if you guys haven't checked out Jock Market yet, highly suggest you do so. Sponsor of the NFL Strategy Show. What is Jock Market, you ask? I'll tell you, they've turned fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, into a stock exchange where you can make money down to the minute, down to the second, right? And here's what you do if you're wondering. You can buy and sell shares of players in real time for real money, all right? And the way that I always look at this is they, that you can use this these shows, you can use your research process early in the day. Those of us that get up and grind from the crack of dawn, right? Where we look at players and say, you know what? They're not being evaluated right right now. I don't see the prop being right. I don't see that price being right or anything. I want to get in on that, but I want to take advantage of that. See, on a site like DraftKings or FanDuel, you can't really take advantage of that because generally speaking, by the time lock rolls around, you start to see ownership even out. Uh, you start to see people talking about them. They become popular. Their ownership gets steamed. And it's like, man, I saw that in the morning. And now everybody's there because, well, they, they know. On Jock Market, though, this is where it comes into play. They have a pregame IPO where you can pick up shares of these players, right? And you can do it early in the day. So if you're on a certain player or, or set of players, you can pick them up early in the day at a discounted price. And then once the game starts, you can hold them, you can get more of them, or you can sell them at a profit. That's, you know, the straight like day trading mentality. You see something first, you get in before it pops off, and then you start making money on it. So use the uh, the pregame IPO. If, you know, Matt and I are talking about certain players right now and you agree with us or even disagree, or you see something else that stands out, take advantage of that using the pregame IPO, pick up a bunch of shares of them, and then either ride it some, some money or, or sell it off mid game when people are willing to buy them at a premium uh, jock market promo code, use it. Awesome. -O, a W E S E M O. When you sign up, you'll get a $50 bonus on your first deposit. 
Download the app, check it out in the app store or the Google play store. Now, all of that is cool, right? But here's the best part. If you are a new user and you don't profit on your first time in the NFL cash market, you're refunded up to $100. Refunded up to $100 if you don't profit in your first time in the NFL cash market. It's a win-win. Legitimate risk-free spot here. I think you will win because you're part of Awesome You use the tools. You check us out. Watch the videos. You're going to be in good shape. But anyway, download the app. Use the promo code Awesome and take advantage of all of that they have to offer. They have to offer, I should say, over at Jock Market. J-O-C-K-M-K-T. Download it in the App Store or Google Play Store. All right, Matt, last thing on the Jets, defense, kicker, tight ends. Anything you got for us here? Low scoring game environment in these kind of contests, like kickers and defense a lot more. Obviously, just it being the Jets, that kind of raises some red flags overall. But at the same time, I think maybe that's going to lower these players' ownership. As far as the tight ends, like it's basically just been a 50-50 split between Croft and Griffin which makes it a really hard situation to target. Not to mention, neither of the players are targeted much either. It's basically all throw, flowing through Crowder and those running backs we talk about. So I think they're good GPP plays just because you and I always say, we got to talk about the guys on the field. Touchdowns to tight ends seems to be a showdown thing. I'm not really going to buy into that. But again, these guys play, so they need to be on your radar. If I was picking between one, man, I probably Ryan Griffin, but if we just look at their last three games, he's had five targets and Croft has had two. We're talking about two of the like least targeted tight ends in football. Hey, my fault on the sidebar there, Mike. Thanks for catching that. Um, I forgot we didn't talk about tight ends for the Jets. That's essentially how meaningless they are at this point, Matt. <laughs> but uh, I just completely forgot them with the defense and kickers. Let's talk about the Colts now. Laying 10 and a half at home. They started off the season miserably. But let's be fair to them. This is not a bad football team. Just as the Tennessee Titans started off looking awful, they've turned things around. Unfortunately, they lose Derrick Henry, and that's huge. But the Colts still have some good pieces. You and I, since I feel like we've been talking about this since May or June, have very much thought, hey, Michael Pittman can be the guy that ends up being a true alpha receiver, that ends up being able to be you know, a easy thousand plus yard guy, 10 touchdown guy in the right situation. And we're finally starting to see him evolve and, and mature into a, into a wide receiver. The defenses are having a very difficult time containing, right? I mean, last week, 10 on 15 targets for 86 yards and two touchdowns, both of which came, I think in the first half before that only four targets, but 105 yards and a touchdown. He, how many he's made countless difficult catches that he's been underthrown on from Wentz. And he's coming over top of defenders. He's good on contested balls. I, I think Michael Pittman really does have all of the tools to be one of those guys that can have some mega smash games going forward this year. It's just, where do we slot him in today against the jets? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And he was that kind of receiver back at USC. He's very good in contested situations downfield. He was a very good downfield receiver there too. And Wentz has done a pretty good job getting him the ball. I think some of the issues with Wentz are just like boneheaded turnovers that you'd think should be correctable, but the sample size is just increasing steadily on those with him. With Michael Pittman today, you're certainly not scared of the matchup. I mean, the Jets cornerback room is one of the worst in football. They, they have Bryce Hall, who's a guy I really like. But then, I mean, you're talking about like some day three rookies that are in like the two deep on this team. Like Brendan Eccles coming from from Kentucky like 
Javelin Gudry is a day three pick out of Utah. He only played in the slot in college. Like th- this is an easy matchup for Michael Pittman to win. Because of that, I think he's a very good play. And the position he plays doesn't typically lend itself to like a lot of captain ownership on these slates. And that's what we're seeing here. He's behind Carson Wentz. He's behind Jonathan Taylor. I think that makes sense. But all this boils down to he still has a lot of upside and he could very easily be the highest scoring player on this slate, especially if that just raw target volume we saw last week, him being the target monster for Carson Wentz continues. And I don't really see any reason it wouldn't. A lot of people thought T.Y. Hilton might come back last week, his first week back from injury, and garner that sort of T.Y. Hilton target share we've known from past years. But at this point in his career, it doesn't look like T.Y. Hilton's that player anymore, and it appears Michael Pittman has just fully usurped him. I think he's a great captain play today. Usurped him. Love it. Great word. Thank you. I'm think... out here, here trying <laughs> to increase my vocabulary coming from you, man. I know yours I, I, is. Dude, that's a great word. It really is. Uh, so – with Hilton being out anyway, and then, I mean, I, I don't think there's a shock to any one of us that Paris Campbell, it's kind of, it's sad for the guy, honestly. Like, he just can't, he can't get right. He's on the IR. He's done. Who else do they have? Okay, so that's kind of a rhetorical question. We know you have guys like Zach Pascal, but aside from that, look, this, this, this is so wild, okay? Look at the pricing on wide receivers for the Colts, Matt, you, you can use DraftKings, you can use wherever you want, but just specifically DraftKings. Michael Pittman, if you're talking just fl- uh, flex, 10,200. Zach Pascal, 6,600. All right. Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Kike Kute is the next most expensive player at literally minimum salary. That is your next most expensive wide receiver. So they don't have a wide receiver three that isn't complete dead minimum. That's absolutely unbelievable. And I mean, it's crazy. The, the wide receiver room has been a mess. Like I, for sure it's been a mess, but right now I, I think because of pricing, like you might see people just go down to the stone minimum here. It's, I, it's just a clear mispricing by DraftKings. Like T.Y. Hilton's not going to play in this game. We have Zach Pascal who plays a very consistent role. So from here, it's like, who is, going to be the wide receiver three. And I don't think there's going to be one clear player that takes over the role, but Ashton Doolin, he's played a lot for this, this Indianapolis Colts team. He's somebody I think who is the most likely to do so. But at the end of the day, like, do we see Kute play more snaps? I, I think we very well could. He kind of plays like a, a redundant role with, uh, with Pascal a little bit. So Doolin, I think would be my preferred play, but again, this is really risky. So just for context, the Jets have six wide receivers, like active receivers tonight, above $1,000. Yeah. That's nuts. And there's just nobody else there for, for the Colts. So the reason I wanted to bring that up, though, Matt, is because like, what about target distribution and just really volume distribution for this team? You have Michael Pittman. You have Jonathan Taylor. Um, you have Zach Pascal, who, to be fair, uh, while we haven't seen a ton of this lately, has been a legitimate red zone threat on the season, right? Uh, I think it, the more and more that Pittman evolves and 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 builds a relation or builds some chemistry with with Wentz, you're going to see a little bit less of that. But that's kind of what you have going. Mo Ali Cox is a guy that could get some looks in the in the red zone. This is a pretty concentrated offense. It is. I think a lot of it is just going to flow through Pittman and 
Pascal, mainly Pittman. And then the wide receiver three is risky because of the Kuti stuff. Doolin's played ahead of him, but I don't think that just makes Doolin the wide receiver three automatically. I think they could split. I also think you could see them run into a lot of 12 personnel, which they've done at times this year. They obviously have Mo Ali Cox, but Doyle is still there. He plays a lot. He's just a little older and less reliable as a receiver, but Doyle is still there. Doyle has been over 65% of the snaps in four straight games. So perhaps he takes on that extra role. They also have their rookie tight end, Kylan Granson, who's popped up for bigger games occasionally. Week four stands out when he plays 42% of the snaps. And there wasn't really any injury news there that was different from what we'd seen earlier in the year. Like T.Y. Hilton had been out for weeks now. So that random 42% snap game seems to be like a matchup thing they isolated. Is that something the Colts decide to do with, with Granson? He is a receiving threat coming out of SMU. He's basically like a big bodied slot receiver. Think more like your Zach Ertz mold. So he could play that role. And at the very worst, I think it's just a three-way split between Doolin, Kute, and Granson. And we don't know what it's going to be. So this is a spot where you should take shots. But I definitely think Doolin is going to come in with the most ownership. Okay. Makes sense. And look, these are basically dart throws, but once you get down there, sure. Pittman and Pascal played 96 and 94% of snaps last week. I think you'll probably see that again this week in the event that uh, this game is close. Now, I, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe if they're, if they're ahead by a ton, that could be a little bit different, but those are the guys that you project to be on the field. Most of the game uh, with T Y Hilton being out, like you said, Dolan and, and maybe QT. I don't know. He's played four snaps on the entire season, Matt. So it's it's tough to say. Th- those are their dart throws is what they are and their minimum salary. What's Dolan's ownership right now? Um, right now, it's is it 24%. Is, I think that comes up. You think it comes up? Okay. Yeah. He's going to be the preferred punt play. Yeah, and he really is. You have to do, you do have to make some concessions. Basically, because like all of the Colts elite skill position players are expensive. So Taylor, Wentz, and Pittman are all really expensive. And then if you want to get Michael Carter, he's not cheap either. He's like middling to above average in terms of price. But even if you play like, if you captain one of Taylor, Wentz, and Pittman and run the other two in the flex, then you put in Michael Carter, you need to punt twice. You need to use like, Min min price Doolin, and then you could get somebody that's like two to three K. So Doolin is the avenue to getting like two to three of those studs. Whereas if you play somebody a little more expensive, you're going to be limited in the elite options you can get on the slate. So I think he's just going to be popular as that engine that gets you to all of the big plays. Jonathan Taylor right now has a 18% optimal captain probability, uh, 29% top play probability. So that's significant. I mean, 29% is 10% higher than the next closest player. Now it's funny because Wentz actually has a higher optimal captain probability. Jonathan Taylor is at 18%. Wentz is at 21, but uh, no one has close to the same top play probability. According to our top, uh, our top single game and showdown plays tool, which again, check that out if you haven't done so yet. And if you want to use the uh, promo code NFL strategy show, that or no NFL showdown. I think it is. I think I always get this one mixed up NFL showdown. 
uh, all one word, all caps, gets you 25% off your first week, which is ownership, player projections, top stack tool, boom, bust tool, the top single game plays tool that I was talking about, lineup builder, all these tools built by Awesome himself, number one ranked DFS player out there. Uh, and it's not just football, baseball, basketball, well, baseball's over, basketball, hockey, golf, NASCAR, if that's still going, MMA, PGA, you name it, everything, uh, esports. If they have contests out there, we got content for it. So be sure to check it out. Use the promo code uh, NFL Showdown, all caps, all one word. Get you I mean, 25% off your first week. Go to awesome.com slash join. Check out all those tools. And now if you want to do the add-on for Fantasy Cruncher, you can do that for a week. We didn't used to have that, or they didn't used to offer that. Now you can do a week of Fantasy Cruncher as well. So it's a win-win over there. Awesome.com slash promos. NFL showdown, all one word, all caps. Take advantage of these tools. And if you're not ready to do so yet, totally fine. But be sure to check out Adam Share's deep dive article. It's the best, most comprehensive NBA article you're going to find every day. It's 100% free on the homepage if you're playing NF NBA DFS. If not, you got the NFL showdown rankings free today. Uh, you have the NHL top stacks tool free today and the NBA player projections, all of that over at awesome.com. If you're not yet ready to become a premium member, all good, baby, but check those tools out, Matt, what are we doing with Jonathan Taylor? Jonathan Taylor, he's a great play and he continues to get it done. Even like regardless of game script and some of it just comes through pure efficiency. He's had such long runs. He's like almost a Derrick Henry light. And I think just the presence of Derrick Henry has thrown some shadow on what Jonathan Taylor's actually been able to accomplish, but he's been phenomenal. We know the concerns with Jonathan Taylor. It's going to come down to some pass catching upside if they're down in games, but we've seen him play well as a pass catcher and you have a spot where they're a 10 point favorite over a bad New York jets defense. So how much of a concern is that really today? Volume should be there. Efficiency should be there. Jonathan Taylor is a great play. I like a point you made earlier about the optimal captain ownership and looking at, at some of our, our leverage tools, the top stacks tool for showdown in particular is one I really like. Taylor, he actually still provides just a little bit of negative leverage in the captain spot. And I compared that with Wentz and Michael Pittman. They have slightly more positive leverage in the captain spot, but the most goes to Pittman, who we just talked at length about with kind of that newfound role he has as the alpha receiver here. So because of the ownership, I think I'm more likely to play Taylor in the utility spot, but you can certainly build captain lineups with Taylor and just get a little bit contrarian elsewhere. Overall, what it comes down to and what we talked about earlier, captains really spread today. So I think if you're playing multiple lineups, you too should spread your ownership there. And when you have Taylor, just be a little cognizant that he is coming in with some ownership and make sure to get different in just slightly other ways with him. How about somebody like Marlon Mack who went from getting a decent amount of backup duty behind Jonathan Taylor, you know, spelling him a decent amount to now playing four and one snap, five total snaps over the last two games. Sure. Matt, some of this has to do with, with just the game flow, um, you know, and, and wanting your best guy out there. Is there a possibility here? And, and I in no way, shape or form feel even remotely confident about this, but I have to ask because, no stone unturned here on the strategy show, which by the way, and we try and hit on everything. We got over 300 people watching right now. Hit that thumbs up 15 away from that 100 mark. It'd be greatly appreciated if you haven't done so yet. Um, do you think it's possible that if we were to just say, let's just say that the Colts are, are blowing the doors off this Jets team, that Marlon Mack does get some additional work and ends up falling into the end zone? Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. And 
more of a possibility here than like virtually any other game they'll play this year outside of the game against the Texans where they won 31 to three. But if you're going to play Marlon Mack, I think this is the spot. He's actually interesting in large field tournaments because he's at a similar price point to the Ashton Doolins of the world in a game script where perhaps the Colts are winning by even more than what they're projected to based on bookmakers. The spread's currently sitting at 10. If they're up by 17, 24, and they're playing in the second half, they're not going to have Jonathan Taylor out there. They're not going to have Naheem Hines, and they're certainly not going to be throwing in that game script either. That's the situation where Marlon Mack could potentially benefit and then pay off an $800 salary. It's basically a minuscule salary, but that is kind of the path to like a Doolin failing it and Marlon Mack getting there. And in your large field tournament, it's not going to come with ownership. So I do think he's viable in the biggest of fields. Yeah. And look, even in that Texans game, he did only see five carries, but once in a while, you know, you have to at least consider that stuff. If I'm playing like one or three lineups, Matt, I want nothing to do with it, but agreed. Yeah. If you're going to have a lot of it, then, then sure, man, look, Mike's got that sun just coming in through his, through his, look at, the, look at that screen. He's got, looks like he just entered heaven. <laughs> see that? <laughs> Mike, you guys Lawrence. can't see it. Mike, I don't know how he can see anything. I don't know either. <laughs> Mike, Mike Lawrence producing today's show, doing a phenomenal job as always. Mike just came onto the team not long ago, so shout him out. He's awesome, yo. So you guys know who awesome, yo, is you've seen him in the chat plenty of times. Matt, how about Naeem Hines? Who's his? How strange has his role been this season? He goes from like, oh, they're they're phasing him out. Jonathan Taylor's getting all the passing work now to, oh, okay, five targets last game, and now he's back involved. But, oh, and like eight, eight, eight carries against San Francisco two weeks ago. What a strange role he has, and pretty unpredictable one this year under Frank Reich. For sure. He's, a, he's an explosive back, so I, I think they're very happy to have him. And he just makes things like more confusing for people trying to evaluate the situation than anything else. We know in negative game script, that's when he kind of sees his ceiling. They use him a lot in third down situations, up-tempo situations, like those play-from-behind situations. But Taylor's been so good that I think they're just riding the hot hand sometimes. Like when Jonathan Taylor comes out and he's playing really well, he's good as a pass catcher. And at times, there's really no need to use Naheem Hines. But when Taylor, like, maybe needs a break or he's just not as efficient on, like, certain situations, they can use Naheem Hines as that change of pace back. So with a volatile workload like this, I, I do think he's hard to predict. But he's not just your pure third down back either. So there are situations where even in this game script, you could still use Naheem Hines. You just know his projection is a little more volatile than even a guy like Jonathan Taylor's. But again, that's reflected in price. It's reflected in ownership. Overall, he's not my favorite low risk play, but in tournaments, I think you can definitely get there. Colts D is going to be pretty popular. Uh, Michael Badgley is going to be pretty popular. I, I'm pretty sure that Badgley has... Not let me just make sure this is legitimate. Yeah, he hasn't attempted more than one field goal uh, in a game all season. Granted, he's only played four games, but he's going to be popular. Colts will be popular. I get it, Matt. You know, high implied total for this team facing a guy in Mike White who's got picked off four times in one and a half games. All that makes sense to me. But my God, that's expense. That, that's a lot of ownership on the Colts. Yeah, it is. And we know it's just a really volatile position. So anytime you see that kind of ownership on a defense, I'm just going to go the other way with it. I'll play them in lineups where it makes sense, but I'm definitely going to come in under the field on the Colts. When I play them, it's going to be in more of those like onslaught builds. What do you say we build a lineup here? Let's do it. 
Let's do it. All right. So captain spot, I'll turn it over to you. We'll talk large field tournament. Let's actually go. Let's do one of the single entry that has, you know, maybe 10,000 people in it. So still pretty large field, but not the Millie. So, um, or it's 500 K to first tonight, but you get the point. So like big single entry tournament. Let's do something interesting because I think a lot of people are going to play the big three for the Colts. Let's try Michael Carter. I love it. That's exactly where I wanted to go as well. Um, but yeah, Michael Carter, I think that'll open some things up a little bit. I'll, I, the correlation between a running back and a quarterback is tough because even if the quarterback is throwing to them, a, it, you're not racking up those big yards each time. But then again, it doesn't seem like Mike White's going to be doing that with any of his pass catchers. So essentially at this point, you're banking on a receiving touchdown from someone like Michael Carter. I'll, I'll go off the board a little bit here and God, this is tough, Let you know what? Screw it. Let me, let me go with, let me go with Jonathan Taylor. Let, let's plug Taylor in here because I think this could be a, a 20 carry game for him for the first time of the year. I like Jonathan Taylor. I think in like a single entry midfield contest, we already knocked off a ton of ownership in our lineup just by playing Michael Carter. So I think we can just take the easy route with the Colts and play Carson Wentz. So that way we have at least a tiny attachment to all of the receiving and running backfield like opportunity they'll have today, rather than try to like isolate it all with Michael Pittman. We at least get a piece of the Pittman stuff when Wentz throws to him and then we get a little piece of everything else too. So I okay. think Wentz and, is a good play. And I don't hate that Taylor has actually flashed some, some explosive upside as a pass catcher. Like, Big play ability, you know, 37 yard reception last week, week five, 76 yard touchdown reception. That's appealing to me. If they're going to be in the lineup together, let's go with, see, this is where it's crazy because the pass catching options, I'm going to throw in, I'm going to throw in Mo Ali Cox, Matt, and hope that he gets into the end zone. This guy for what it's worth has four touchdowns on the season and four touchdowns over his last five games. So if he can get there, it's not the craziest idea to think that uh, you might get a hookup from, from Wentz and Mo Cox. And I do not assume that he's going to be all that popular either. No, he's not. No, I, I definitely don't think Mo Cox is going to come in with a lot of ownership. That puts us in a weird spot. So we can do one of a couple things. We could punt all the way down with like an Ashton Doolin and then get way up to a player like Jamison Crowder. But we and we're also leaving some salary on the board in that case, or we could play like two middling plays, like maybe a kicker and somebody like Naheem Hines in a tournament. I would rather take the upside with the punt play and the payoff option. So I'm going to say Doolin, and then we can decide from there which of the last plays we want to get in. I like it. Okay, Doolin, that gives us 9,300. Oh, okay. Um, so we're hoping for a bad Pittman game. I tell you that much. Yeah, and I think that's okay. Wentz, that's fine. Uh, we're going off a small sample with Pittman being the alpha, and he has spread it a lot historically. So I, I'm okay with betting on that. We also have Taylor, and if Pittman does have a good but not great game, we have Wentz to kind of mitigate some of that risk. Do you want to go Crowder or Colts onslaught with Zach Pascoe? I think in this one, I would rather go Crowder. Me we too. still leave one and a half thousand on the board. We have a slightly contrarian captain. And I think this is just enough leverage 
which is good for like a mid-size single entry. I'm with you. And if you guys wanted to, this is going to be a different type lineup with Mo Ali Cox. If you wanted to, you can actually upgrade Mo Ali Cox to Zach Pascal if you are feeling more comfortable with that and still have salary. That's going to be more popular, though. There's no doubt about it. The Mo Ali Cox build there will be a lot less popular. Uh, so worth considering. Anyway, Matt, we got to get out of here. Turn it over to the uh, Awesome NBA strategy show. Give me a top bet you got for today. Anything out there that our viewers can can feel good about. So one you and I were talking about before the show, and I think you could go two ways with this. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder with the Michael Carter. You are, but it's props. okay. What, is that what you were going with? It's, it's fine. I'm, we'll, we'll both go with it. Why not? I, I have another one if you like Michael Carter. Don't worry about it. Go for it. Okay. So Michael Carter has good props like across the board, reception props, receiving yardage props. And based on our projections, the over on all of these is solid. Right now, I think the best one is just overall receptions sitting at four and a half in most places. We have it projected at five right now, which is a little conservative. We have Ty Johnson projected for a decent role today. I think there's room for that to be a little bit off, but towards the overside. Yeah. I, listen, I'm with you. When you say we're, where we haven't projected, at Odd Shopper, you can just sort by his name. So if you pull Carter up, you'll get all of his projected stat or all of all of his props. Yeah, the the best spot to bet this, according to Odd Shopper, is bet MGM because they have the over four and a half at plus one fifteen, Matt, which is nice, real nice. DraftKings plus one ten, Caesars plus one ten. We haven't projected a five, fifty two percent expected win rate, thirteen percent expected ROI. I mean, look, none of that's awful. I do like him a little bit more, though, because we talked about the inability or unwillingness for Mike White to throw deep. We talked about a almost 50% target share for his running backs, double-digit dogs. I think we both look at this and say this could be another 10-target game for, for Michael Carter. And I don't really think, Matt, that they have the personnel to change up the formula that actually worked for them last week. I agree with you 100%. I'm, I'm all in on the Michael Carter props today. Oddshopper.com, totally free, by the way. Hit shop NFL, shop NBA, whatever way you want to shop props, check it out. That's the way to do it, man. All right, that'll do it for us. Stick around. Adam and Josh coming up next. It's the NBA Strategy Show. This has been the NFL Showdown Strategy Show presented by Jock Market. Again, follow your boy Matt at Matt underscore Gajeski, myself at Lafayette underscore D, and awesome.com uh, at awesome.com. Thanks for watching, everybody. Peace.